uh, Indian Academy for providing me this opportunity to speak here today. And I thank all of you for taking time off from this uh, Saturday afternoon to listen to this talk rather than spend it on something else. Uh, the talk is not about me. The talk is about the work of Pandit Kodamankarajala, who, who happens to be my grandfather. Um, and of course, as uh, the, the introduction, um, the, there are a lot of distortions in Indian history that he actually spent a lot of time correcting. So the way this presentation is organized is in three parts. The first two will be very short uh, and brief. The first part will talk about the distortions in Indian chronology. Uh, we find out who the distorters are, what distortions they made, uh, what their motivation was, and that will be a brief introduction. Um, the second part is an introduction to the author, and then the rest of the presentation, the bulk of the presentation will be on his body of work. So that's how this is organized. So looking at the uh, distortions, who? It's William Jones, you can see the names, Max Wheeler, George Wheeler, Fleet, Parkiter. You'll notice that most of these people are employees of the East India Company. Um, William Jones was the 18th century. Uh, almost all the others were in the 19th century. And William Jones was the one uh, who started the distortions. Uh, he was a contemporary with Warren Hastings, who was the Governor General uh, of India at the time. Um, and why? The reason is, here is where you need to understand uh, the concept of prisms and lenses. So he was aware of Indian chronology. He was aware of the true chronology. But when he was reading it, um, he was a staunch Christian. And the Old Testament says God created the earth in six days. And that was in 4004 BC. So he was reading with the Christian lens and says this can't be right. Or we cannot allow this to be published as is. So he decided Indian history must start in 2029. So he set the floor first and said, okay, we have to modify the dates. So Indian history starts in 2029. And then what did they do? They removed about a thousand years before the Mahabharata war. They removed 1200 years after the war, dated some events wrongly. Then they took the text, Indian texts, they interpolated them with uh, contradictory slokas and then said, these are unreliable because they contradict one another. And so they uh, um, decided not to use uh, Indian texts at all. They also entered, uh, and then they, NRV. NRV stands for the Nepal Rajabhamsavali. That's how you reconstruct the Nepal history from. And KRT is the Kalhana's Rajatarangini, the history of Kashmir. And so he introduced the Spulya Shlokas and these, the Nepal Rajabhamsavali, which uses the Kali era, uh, but in Nepal was prevalent the Sri Harsha era. And the Sri Harsha era he mapped to Sri Harsha uh, Siladitya. So from 457 BC, he moved it to 6th century AD. And so that locked off 3,400 years uh, in Nepal's history. Uh, they, so they rejected Hindu texts as fictional and unreliable. So they said everything before the Kali Yuga is poetry. It's not real, it's poetry. Uh, so they started with the Kali Yuga, but decided history must start in this day. <laughs> and by rejecting Hindu texts, what did they rely on? They relied on accounts of foreign travelers, like Fahian, Hyunsan, Megasthenes. So they took skimpy accounts from these foreign travelers to construct Indian chronology. Um, now, to, to support their dates, they actually forged coins. Now we talk about tampering of evidence. They actually forged coins, forged inscriptions, uh, and then said that this is authoritative, and therefore this is the basis of the chronology that they've constructed. They actually destroyed genuine evidence. So if you read Panditji's books, one of the things he says is nothing has been found uh, in the BC era. All the uh, findings, archaeological, numismatic, um, the inscriptions, prashastis, uh, were found after Christ. And so let's uh, raise these questions. They created the Aryan race and the Aryan invasion theory. That was thanks to Max Miller. Um, to give you an example, this example at the bottom, can everybody see the bottom of the screen? Okay, this example is from 
Megasthenes Indica. Now, Megasthenes apparently lived in India for a few years. He wrote a book called Indica that nobody can find. Nobody has found the primary source to verify anybody's claims. 400 years after Megasthenes, uh, there were historians called Arian and Strabo. And they wrote commentaries on Indica. Even those are not uh, found. Uh, but then in the 18th century, suddenly there was a J.W. McRindle who published a text and said it was an English translation of Arian's commentary on Indica. So that's the source. So with that source, the three names that he found were Sandrami, Sandrakota, Sandrasiptus. And here, the two Chandraguptas in Indian history, one of the Maurya Empire and one of the Gupta Empire. Father, son, grandson. Father, son, grandson. So it doesn't take a lot of education or intelligence to see that Sandrasiptus matches with Samudragupta. Sandragottas, of course, is Chandragupta. No confusion here. But Sandramese maps to Chandramas, which is the Gupta dynasty. William Jones mapped it to the Maurya dynasty. And that pulled Indian history up by 1,200 years. 1,200 years, from 1534 to 327. So that briefly are the distortions. What is the result of those distortions? Buddha, Chandragupta, Maurya, Patanjali, Adi Shankara moved up by 1,200 years. Andhra Satavahanas were moved from the 9th century to the 3rd century BC. Varaha Mihira from 123 BC to 505 AD. And the Gupta kings moved up by 700 years. The Sanghas, Kanvas, and Andhras were made contemporaries, although they ruled one after the other in sequence on the Magadha Empire. Vikramaditya, Salivahana, and four entire dynasties were removed from Indian history. <laughs> Vikramaditya and Salivahana, emperors who had eras named after them. Uh, were completely removed from history. Mahabharata war moved from that date to this date. So this is the result of those distortions. Now you can imagine that by doing all of this, the chronology that they produced didn't match the original in any way and was very confusing for anyone to even try and correct. So Panditji's approach ha was to reconstruct it from scratch, from Sruti and Smriti rather than try and uh, uh, correct uh, the, the chronology that they had produced. <coughs> so, brief uh, biography of Panditji was a traditional scholar who was well grounded in Sruti and Smriti. And uh, he was, uh, because of that grounding, he identified uh, many of those uh, distortions. Of course, a lot of the distortions that William Jones did was known before Panditji began his work. But there were others that he found as he was uh, researching, and he decided to reconstruct chronology. He started his research when he was 23 years old, 1908, and spent 51 years and wrote 24 books. And over time, uh, you can see the titles that uh, he has uh, been awarded. And eventually, he became the Pitadipati of uh, Abhinava Virupaksha Pitam. Uh, and there's a picture here. This is the Mahaswami of Sringeri initiating him as the Pitadipati of Abhinava Virupaksha Pitam. So he is a <coughs> Shankaracharya of the Sringeri Parampara. <coughs> now the methodology that he used was a multidisciplinary approach. Uh, he felt that ancient texts were the primary source. Ancient texts were the primary source. And he felt that Prashastis and inscriptions, and these are used to corroborate what the texts say. Because with a, with a coin, you can corroborate one date. You can't write a history based on one coin. So he took texts as the primary source. Uh, and then, of course, he also drew from legends and folklore. So, for example, uh, if there was an emperor and there's very little uh, text that talk about his lifetime, then the place he grew up in there may be ballads and poems and songs, plays, street plays. So there is civilizational memory of the emperor. So there are traditions also that uh, one can draw from. Uh, he was an active participant in conferences. So over those 51 years, every time he achieved a major piece of research, uh, he would actually present papers at conferences for getting it peer reviewed. So all his work has actually been peer reviewed over time. 
He was also an active member and a contributor to the Andhra Historical Society, which was headquartered in Rajamandri. And uh, it was almost like a clearinghouse where scholars could get together, uh, post their work, post their research. Um, of course, people would dispute. Uh, he would defend, he would present his discoveries, defend, and he would refute with evidence. So all this was in the public domain. Uh, it was uh, the peer review. So his works actually provide a complete framework. What I mean by that is he identifies most distortions and the distorters in one place. Uh, he has a, a reconstruction of the complete chronology from 3138 BC to uh, 1193 AD. <clears throat> and in doing so, he completely reconciles all the sources of Indian history. The history of the Magadha Empire from Puranas, uh, history of Nepal from the uh, Nepal Rajavamsavali, history of Kashmir from Kalhana's Rajatarangini, <laughs> and of course, uh, one thing, we will get to this again, but I just wanted to point out that uh, the dates are consistent across all of these sources. Uh, and in doing so, he found distortions in the histories of Kashmir and Nepal. So he had to digress and correct and rewrite the histories of Nepal, the history of Kashmir, and then come back to the original research and <laughs> complete his uh, reconstruction of the chronology. Another good thing is that he identifies all the references that he used for his research, and they're precise up to the sloka. Identifies the text, the page, and the sloka. Uh, now, here's an original theory of his, and that is out of India migrations, which completely debunks the uh, Aryan immigration theory. Of the globe, he says, was populated with migrations out of India. And we'll go get into that uh, in uh, one of the slides. He challenges the arbitrary Christian calendar. The Christian calendar was set up in 532 AD. <coughs> um, we'll, see, we'll see more of this. I do have this on another slide, but since we're on the topic, <coughs> in 532 AD, they decided to have the Christian calendar, BC AD. But Christ lived to be 33. So they don't explain whether that zero is his birth or his death. So how do you account for those 33 years? And then the Gregorian calendar has gone through several corrections. So it's not simply linearly projecting into the past. So he questions that. Uh, and of course, he, didn't, he only mentions it, but he didn't do any research into this topic. So the reconstructed history is in four parts. Uh, very ancient, ancient, medieval, and modern. The very ancient is from the beginning of Srishti, from the beginning of creation to the end of the sixth Manu. And uh, the ancient is from the beginning of the seventh Manu to the 28th Mahayaga. Uh, medieval is from the beginning of the 28th Mahayaga to the end of Dwapar Yoga. And the modern is from the Mahabharata War to 1193. So that's how he divided uh, the reconstructed history. He spent most of his time on the first and the last. The two in the middle, ancient and medieval, he said, are described in a summary form in the Puranas, and that was good enough for civilizational memory. But what was not adequately covered was the first part, and of course the last part was distorted. So that's when he spent the bulk of his time and effort. <coughs> so, starting with the very ancient, this is Brahmanda Srishti. <coughs> so this is what a Brahmanda looks like. You see, time has no beginning and has no end. But there is a pattern that repeats, and the pattern is Srishti. It's creation, growth, destruction. And with the creation, growth, and destruction is of one Brahmanda. So a Brahmanda is created, a Brahmanda is populated, it grows, uh, and then uh, it is destroyed. And a new Brahmanda is created. So that is Brahmanda Srishti. So, if you look at the structure, uh, that's the Bhugola. That's, in fact, I don't know if you can read that, but it says, you are here. So this is where we all are. This is the earth. And then you have the Udvalokas, and then you have the Patanalokas. And an easy way to remember the Udvalokas is back to your Nitya Sankalpam, no Om Guhu. 
So this is Bhuloka. Om Bhavaha, Om Saha, Om Mahaha, Om Janaha, Om Tapaha, Om Satyam. So these are the names of the Uddhvalokas in the Mitya Sankalpa. And then of course you have the uh, seven Padaralokas over here. And the duration of a Brahmanda is the lifespan of Brahma. And uh, we'll, we'll get into that in the next slide. But here are some interesting uh, uh, things to, to note. Seven Brahmandas is one Jagat and so on. And you get to one samsara. So just remember these numbers, the Padma and Sankha. We'll get to those in a in a second. And Brahmandas are counted in Koti and Satakoti. So this is not the only Brahmanda that exists. But the Mahasankalpa, which is different from the Nitya Sankalpa, is something that is recited on very special occasions. And the Mahasankalpa actually describes the Brahmanda. It describes everything that you see on this picture over here. And I think uh, anyone interested should ask one of your Panditjis at uh, your next puja to see if he can recite the Mahasankalpam for you. <coughs> Cosmic hints of time. So we said the duration of a Brahmanda is the lifespan of Brahma. And the lifespan of Brahma is divided into two halves. So he lives 50 years on his time scale. Uh, I'm sorry, 100 years on his time scale, which is divided into two halves, 50 years each called a Paradha. So two Paradhas is the lifespan of Brahma. And uh, a day of Brahma is called a Kalpa. And a Kalpa is composed of 14 Manvantaras. Each Manvantara in turn has 72 Mahayugas. And each Mahayuga in turn has uh, four of these Yugas. This is what I suppose everyone is familiar with. Kali Yuga and so on. So, so this is, uh, these are the cosmic units of uh, time. <coughs> so, a Manvantara uh, has uh, 71 Mahayugas, has a presiding Manu. Uh, the current Manu, the Manu presiding over this Manvantara is called Vaivasvata. So you probably have heard that name. And uh, of course, uh, one Kalpa is daytime for Brahma, another Kalpa is nighttime for Brahma. So the Udaya Kalpa is the daytime and the Kshaya Kalpa is the nighttime. So Udaya Kalpa and Kshaya Kalpa is one Ahuratri of Brahma. <coughs> uh, at the end of every Mahayuga is what is called the Yuga Pradaya. And at the end of a Manmatra is a Jala Pradaya. And at the end of uh, the Udaya Kalpa is a Mahapradaya. So according to our Nitya Sankalpa, in fact, if you go back to our Nitya Sankalpa again, you know, see Sri Mahavishnu Rajnaya, Pravattamanasya, Adyubrahmanaha, so say Dvitiya Paradhe, Second Paradha, Sveta Varaha Kalpe, so within the Kalpa of Sveta Varaha, Vaibhaswata Manvantare, Ashtavim Sati Tame Kaliyuge, Pratame Pade. So basically, in our Sankalpa, we try to define our time and place. And so this is how we define our time. So, by, by, by the you know, Nitya Sankalpa. So, there are 30 Kalpas, 14 Manus, 48 Vyasas named. The next one is uh, 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 expected to be Aswadhamma. I'll just go back to the previous slide for a second. <coughs> the Jyotish Chakra. This is the Jyotish Chakra. What is shown in this picture are the 12 Rasis. Uh, and of course, there are 27 Nakshatras. The map to these. So 12 Rasis, 360 degrees, it's quite easy, 30 degrees, 12 Rasi. But when you come to Nakshatras, there are 27 Nakshatras. So each Nakshatra is about 13 degrees and 20 seconds. And so about two point some Nakshatras fit into one Rasi. And this is the timekeeper for the Brahmanda. So these map to the Bhavarloka. So this is the Bhavarloka. The Bhavarloka is where the Jyotish Chakra is in this axis, in the z-axis. So the beginning of Srishti, all these stellar and planetary bodies start in the Mesha Rasi or Ashwinya Nakshatra. That's where Srishti begins. And then movement starts, each at its own speed, each in its own orbit. And then they meet again at the end of a Mahayuga, which is when there is a Yoga Pralaya. 
So uh, the Jyotish Chakra is essentially a timekeeper for the Brahmanda. <coughs> so just to give you an idea now, to deal with numbers that big, these are the numbers Pandit found in his research. So the first column, these two columns repeat. The first column talks about the number of zeros after one. <coughs> and what this is actually called in Sanskrit. And the largest number he found was one followed by 62 zeros. This is the largest named number he found in uh, his research from the Rigveda, Atharva Veda, and Surya Siddhanta. Uh, so I just thought I'd include that uh, for some detail. So these are the Kalpas of Brahma. And you find that the first one is Svetavaraha Kalpa. And well, 15 uh, Sukla Kalpas and uh, 15 Krishna uh, Paksha Kalpas, and that's a month of Brahma. And then, of course, there are 14 Manus in each Kalpa. Vaswata is the seventh. Our Manmantra is the seventh. So, what we are used to in geography is reading about the Earth as an Eastern Hemisphere and a Western Hemisphere. And we've been taught that the prime meridian, zero degrees, is a passage through Greenwich. What our Suti says is that there's a northern hemisphere and a southern hemisphere. And you look at the Earth from the top. So the center, this is the North Pole. And all the ones that you see, that's the equator. Now, what Pandiji's research shows is this is Jambudvipa. So going back to our Nitya Sankalpa, <coughs> uh, the Nitya Sankalpa says that we're in Jambudvipa. Jambudvipa, Bharata Varashe, Bharata Khande, Meroho Dakshandik Bhage, Sri Sailesya, Vaiva Pradesi, Krishna Godavari, Yuhu Majjadesi. So now the first we covered time, now we're covering space. Where are we? We're on Jambudvipa. There's Jambudvipa. Meroho Dakshandik Bhage. You know, Sri Sailesya, Vaiva Pradesi, Krishna Godavari, Yuhu Majjadesi. So, in Nitya Sankalpa, you identify who you are, where you are, what time you're in, and what you're about to do. So, this is a picture of uh, Jambudvipa. Now, what he asserts is that all the landmass was in the Northern Hemisphere. All the landmass, the entire landmass, that includes Asia, Africa, Europe, uh, the Americas. All of this was in the Northern Hemisphere, and that was part of Jambudvipa. The southern hemisphere was where the uh, the other continents existed, the other dvipas, but they were submerged with the seven oceans in the southern hemisphere. So this is what ancient Jambudvipa uh, looked like. And then coming to Bharata Varsha, Jambudvipa Bharata Varsha, Bharata Khande. This is what the ancient Bharata Varsha looks like. And in this picture, this is the equator at the bottom. This is the equator. There's India as we know it today. All this was one landmass. There was an ocean here called the Eastern Ocean. There was an ocean over here called the Western Ocean, and an ocean over here called the Southern Ocean. All this was a single landmass, and you could walk from India to Africa. And over here, you can see this is the Saraswati. And the Saraswati goes to and through Africa and actually dumps its water in the Western Ocean. And this is this line here is the Drishadvati River. So Brahmavarta is the land between Drishadvati and Saraswati. And this is this is where uh, this is where uh, Suti was uh, uh, revealed, and that is where Suti was handed to humans. And right next to Brahmavarta is Adivarta, which is where human form took shape. That India is the cradle of humanity and uh, mankind. So the prime meridian, according to our Suti, passes through Hastinapur, Ujjain, and Lakkat. And what he asserts over here is Sri Lanka is not the Lanka of Ramayana. The Lanka of Ramayana is on the prime meridian and, and the prime meridian passes through Hastinapur, Ujjain 
and Lanka, and he says Lanka is on the equator. It's on the equator, it's submerged today. <coughs> so Suti manifest in Brahmavarta, humans created in Aryavarta, was a single land mass, and this cycle repeats after every pralaya. Every time Srishti begins, it starts again uh, in this manner. And then he talks about migrations out of India. So there were what are called the Dasyus. The Dasyus are defined in the Rigveda. And Manasruti actually explains who they are, what they are. These are kings that stop observing Vedic rituals. And these people were excommunicated and driven to the northwest of the uh, country. Uh, and so these, this is how the migration started. Uh, it completely uh, refutes the uh, uh, island migration theory um, and asserts that the people and the knowledge migrated out of India to the West. That knowledge didn't come to India, knowledge went from India to the West. Um, so, more on the migrations. So, the, the Rigveda mentions Dasyus and describes them as uh, Kshatriya kings who stopped observing uh, Vedic rituals. The Manusmriti actually identifies specific tribes of Dasyus and says that so-and-so, Dasa, Yavanas, so you must have seen controversies about Yavanas being Greeks or not, they're Indians. They're Indians who migrated out of India, they were not Greeks who came to India. Uh, so we'll, we'll see uh, this again. Uh, their history goes as far back as the Emperor Sagara. Sagara was a descendant of Harishchandra, an ancestor of Lord Rama. And Sagara was the one that actually overpowered all of these tribes and he was the one that drove them out of the country. They are mentioned in the Mahabharata war. All the Yavana kings fought on the side of Duryodhana and they are named in the Mahabharata 3138 BC when Greek didn't even exist. <coughs> Greece didn't exist. Uh, they are mentioned in the times of Ashoka. Ashoka's edicts talk about Yavana kings. Um, so, the kingdoms, the main kingdoms, uh, and you can see them on the map, it's probably too small for, for you to read. But Abhisara, Uraga, Simhapura, Diva, Kataka, and Uttara Jyotisha are five kingdoms that are constantly mentioned uh, through our Itihasas. And as these people migrated to the west, here is how Sanskrit names got morphed into the names we know them as today. So he says Yavanas, and these people used to speak Prakrit, and Prakrit in Sanskrit was slightly different. There was no Sa in Prakrit, it was Ha. So Sapta Sindhu became Hapta Hindu, or Sindhustan became a Hindustan. So the differences. So Yavana was pronounced as Yona, and by the time they got to Greece and got written into the Roman script, it became Iona or Ionia. So you see this is the original Sanskrit name and these regions took names of the tribes that settled there. Settled in what is now called Crete uh, and so on. So these are examples. So the Sakas went to Iran essentially. So the Sakas mainly went to Iran and then migrated west from Iran. The Chinas um, populated China and so on. Now Homer's uh, Iliad uh, the Greek civilization started around 1000 BC. Homer lived around 800 BC. So it was still a fledgling uh, civilization, which was still very primitive and backward. Yet in Iliad, he is describing a kingdom that's very, very advanced. And so the question is, did Greece go backward? Or is it that he is recounting poetry, remembering a different civilization in the past? So what he says is that the history of ancient Greece is the history of Bharat. So Homer's Iliad is essentially talking about, he talks about the capture of Troy. You have a fort with walls that were so thick that they could not be captured even after 10 years of battle. And he talks about a fleet of a thousand ships. And Greece was not that advanced. So the conclusion is this was Ionia. So these were Yavanas who were whose civilizational memory of India still existed. It's just that it's got packaged differently and we're taught it differently. 
So that was the very ancient. We'll skip over the ancient and medieval and come straight to the modern. So when we come to the modern, that's starting with the Mahabharata War to 1193. <coughs> so when you come to the modern history, again, like I said, time has no beginning, it has no end. But we put markers on it, just like we have the BCAD calendar. Um, there are other markers too. And so, I'm able to see the entire uh, slide. I think it's a little bit cut off on the left. But the first one is Yudhishthir Saka. And Yudhishthir Saka corresponds to the Mahabharata War. And the reason it's named after Yudhishthira is because he was crowned emperor, Chakravarti, of, of India. And because it was a big event, uh, there was an era named after him, the Yudhishthira Saka. Then you had the Kali Saka, the Jayabhya Yudhishthira Saka, uh, Yudhishthira Kala Saka, Saptarishi, Lokigabda, several names. This is still used in Kashmir, it's called Kashmir Abda. Kashmir calendar is still based on the Saptarishi Saka. Uh, Malagana Saka, this is the Cyrus era, or Sakamprapati Kala, Sakendra Kala, Sakabhupa Kala. It has a number of names, but that's uh, 550 BC. And you have the Sriharsha, which is the one that was used in Nepal, was moved to Siladitya in the 6th century AD. Um, then you have the Gupta Sakas, when the Guptas were ruling. And this is, uh, then you have the Vikrama Saka and the Salavahan Saka. So, in all of this, Kali Yuga is non-negotiable. It's an astronomical event that can be backtracked and predicted. So what happened? Seven planets, seven heavenly bodies were in the Mesha Rasi, and that was Sri Krishna Dhridhyana. Lopra Yuga ended, Kali Yuga started. And it was that precise time, it was an astronomical event. Seven planets were in conjunction in the Mesha Rasi. It was a Pramadinama Samvatsaram, Chetramasam. Um, Pajami was a true Yugadi. <coughs> Yugadi means the beginning of a new era, Yuga Adi. And this is a true Yugadi. Our Panchangas changed from Dwapari Yuga Turiya Pade to Kari Yuga Pradhamai Pade. So our Panchangas also changed on this date. This is non negotiable. And so this is an absolute marker on uh, time as far as Indian chronology is concerned. Cyrus <coughs> era. See, I have I've highlighted two in red, and these are the two I wanted to talk about. Cyrus era. Cyrus was a Persian emperor. And Cyrus, and of course the Persians were Sakas, Sakas, Yavanas, who were driven out of India. And they still maintained ties with the mother civilization. So anytime they needed arbitration, they would come to the emperor of Bharat for mediation and so on. And the Babylonians and the Persians uh, went to war. And the Persians asked uh, Bharat for help, and the emperor actually sent an army and uh, uh, Cyrus with the Persian king was able to overthrow the Babylonians and he, they established an empire in his honor. Now a few years afterwards, uh, these Sekas actually conquered the northwestern parts of India, parts of Kashmir, parts of Punjab uh, and uh, the Cyrus era is actually known in those parts of India, not in the rest of India, but certainly in those two parts of India. Um, and the Cyrus Hira is mentioned by Ruddhagarga in his astronomy books. It's mentioned by Varahamihira, it's mentioned by Kalhana in Rajatarangini, Kashmir. Talks about the Cyrus Hira. See, Saka, and this is where the Britishers uh, added some confusion. The word Saka has two meanings in Sanskrit. One is a powerful country. So it started with a powerful country. And over time, it was changed to people that used to live there. So first it was for the country, then it became the people of that country. So the Sakas are basically the people from uh, Persia. The second meaning is the more common meaning is era or epoch, era. So <coughs> what the Britishers did in their distortion, they ignored this, they ignored this, they ignored this. They uh, they actually moved this down, they removed, they moved 725 BC over here, they moved this to 6th century AD, and they said these two are fictional people, Vikramaditya, 
who had an ira named after him, Salibarana, who had an ira named after him. He said, these people are fiction and they removed 1300 years of the Agnivamsa kings. These got removed and that's really what they did. Now, Buddhist and Jain texts, and we'll touch upon that also, um, they also have a Yudhishthira era, where their Yudhishthira era starts 468 years after Kali, which matched to 2634 BC. So these are Jain texts. So the, po the point here is, depending on what text you're looking at, you have to know which era those dates are in. And the numbers by themselves don't tell you the whole story. You have to know which era they're in to normalize and reconcile across uh, texts. <coughs> so, uh, reconstructing the Mahabharata war. So there were three, <coughs> is there any way to adjust this? We're losing, we're, we're losing the, uh, the left part of the, we're losing the left part of that table. No, maybe no, 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 no. this keystone. 36 years before Kali Yuga. Gandhari cursed Krishna right after the war and said the Yadava will be destroyed in 36 years. And Yudhishthira sees bad omens about that time. Krishna sees bad omens about that time. This is the eternal evidence. And everybody uh, agrees that Yudhishthira ruled for 36 years before the beginning of Kali Yuga. Uh, if you look at the astronomical evidence, Saptarishi Mandala entered Magha 75 years before Kali. 75 years before Kali is when Yudhishthira was crowned at Indraprastha, not Hastinapura, but Indraprastha, 3177 BC. So that's when, what is the significance of the Saptarishi Mandala? We talked about the Yodhish Chakra and we talked about the Rasis and the Nakshatras. So the Saptarishi Mandala, Versa Major, spends 100 years in the Nakshatra before it moves to the next. And it goes in retrograde motion. So, Saptarishi Mandala would have been in Magha for a hundred years. So if it started over here, in 25 years, um, after Kali Yuga started, is Yudhishthira Svakarohana. And that's when uh, it enters the next star in retrograde motion, which is Aslesha, from Mesha to As or, or, uh, Magha to Aslesha. So that's a hundred years. So, this is a good verification tool. So when you look at uh, dynasties, and that's on probably on the next uh, slide, we'll get back to that, but I just wanted to mention the significance of the Saptarishi Mandala. It spends a hundred years in every nakshatra before it moves to the next one. Varaha Mihira quotes Vidyagarga and talks about Yudhishthira Svarkarohana using the Sairasira. Using the Sairasira that we just saw, 550 BC. Kalhana reasserts Varaha Mihira in Rajatarangini, using the same sloka, he talks about when the Svargarohana happened, the Saptarishi Mandala was in Magha, and that's how he establishes uh, um, the dates. Then of course you've got uh, inscriptional evidence, and one I'll focus on is this one here, King uh, Sudhanva. Uh, now this inscription uses the Yudhishthira Saka, 3138 BC, and it's on a copper plaque that was given to Adi Shankara when he was actually visiting that, that region. So apparently there were about 300 um, pundits of different uh, faiths and Adi Shankara debated uh, those 300 people and he won over all of them and the king was so pleased, the king was a Jain and he was so convinced with Adi Shankara's arguments that he became a follower of Adi Shankara and uh, wrote an inscription for him and this was the year Adi Shankara's Niryana also occurred. So, as you start looking, put these uh, things together from different sources, you see how they start interlocking. All you need is the key and one sheet anchor and everything falls into place. Then, of course, there are other inscriptions from the Gupta era, all of them referencing the Yudhishthira Saka. So, modern history of Bharat. So, we saw that the Mahabharata war is the sheet anchor. So if you look at the, think about the time of the Mahabharata war and the big kingdoms. So you had the Kuru Vansham in Hastinapur, you had uh, Magadha, you had Nepal, Ayodhya, you had Kashmir. You had all these kingdoms at the Mahabharata war and these are long-lived kingdoms. So just looking at the genealogies of each of these, you can start making mapping. So 
Magadha, Kashmir, and Nepal, with these three, you can reconstruct all of Indian chronology. So, and these are the dynasties that ruled over Magadha, just Magadha. These are the dynasties, and the two things I have put in red are the Maurya dynasty and the Gupta dynasty. And Maurya was pulled to Gupta, this age. That's how we lost uh, 1200 years. So, and once you make that correction, the Puranas and Itihasas become consistent. Now, one thing I did forget to mention is uh, today there seems to be a perception that Puranas do not contain history. And anybody heard that? Yeah, that's not right. <laughs> Mahapuranas have ten characteristics called the Dasalakshana. And the Upapuranas have five characteristics called the Panchalakshana. Common to both are the Panchalakshana. And the Panchalakshana are Sarga, Pratisarga, Manvantara, Vamsa, Vamsan, Chirita. So the Sarga talks about Srishti and creation. Pratisarga talks about destruction at the end of Srishti. Manvantara talks about cosmic units of time. And Vamsa talks about genealogies of kings and gotras with the founding rishis. And Vamsana Charita talks about great events in their lifetimes. So with those, it, it is possible to reconstruct the genealogy. So I just forgot to mention that earlier, but uh, I think this is a good point to, to mention that. But So the modern history of Bharat, you reconstruct it, you find Chandragupta Mahaya was indeed in 1534, you find the Gupta was in 327. Now, Buddha, same thing with Buddha. Buddha belonged to the Ikshvaku dynasty, Ayodhya. So, Brahat Bala was killed by Agamanyu in the Mahabharata. And you'll find, if you look at the genealogy, which is in several Puranas, you'll find the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th kings are Shuddhodana, Siddhartha, and Rahu. Sound familiar? So, this is Buddha, right here. And he was the contemporary of Kshemat, Vibhisara, and Ajatasatru. And we know that uh, Ajatasatru's coronation was in this year, and Buddha was 72 years old at that time. There are Buddhist texts that say that his Nagyana occurred when he was 80 years old. And we know when he was 72. Nagarjuna was spreading Buddhism in Kashmir in the 13th century, so Buddha could not have lived before the 13th century. So you can start using this data to start constructing uh, and rule out certain dates and zero in, and then when you can, when you can get something that's confirmatory, um, that allows you to zero in and predict a particular date. And then there is also astronomical proof, Buddha Purnima, which is in uh, Vaisaka Masa. Vaisaka Purnima is Buddha Purnima, and that was 1807. So that's how the date of Buddha was fixed. You look at Adi Shankara. <coughs> um, there are many books called uh, Shankara Vijaya have been published and each one of them was written by one disciple or the other. But the most authoritative one is one that was written by uh, by his childhood companion called Vishnu Sarma and that is the Brihat Shankara Vijaya. And the Brihat Shankara Vijaya, of course, all the dates are in, actually some dates, uh, all the dates in Brihat Shankara Vijaya are in the Yudhishthira Sarma. A date from 3138 BC, and he establishes Vaisaya Kasukla Pachami, is when Adi Shankara was born, that's to 519 BC. Here is where we can corroborate from Jain texts. Um, Kumarila Bhattu, Adi Shankara met Kumarila Bhattu, and he is apparently 48 years older than Adi Shankara, and Adi Shankara was 15 years old wanted to debate with the Kumarala Bhattu. This was from the Jina Vijaya, from the Jain texts. Kumarala Bhattu was a student of Mahavir Jain. They were not contemporaries of Buddha. Kumarala Bhattu was the student of Mahavir Jain and he went there only to learn about Jainism so he could defeat Jains in debate. And so when his, when his cheating was caught, um, the disciples of Mahavir Jain actually threw him off the roof of uh, the Guru's house. And then uh, when Adi Shankara met him, he was actually doing self-immolation. And that was his prize chitam for having cheated his teacher, his Guru. So so anyhow, so that get, the date gets fixed. We know how old he was. 
Nepal Rajivan Savali talks about uh, Adi Shankara visiting Kashmir because Adi Shankara, his guru was Govinda Padacharya and when Govinda Padacharya attains the city, uh, Adi Shankara actually goes to Badrikashram to meet his Param Guru, his Guru's Guru, which is God of Padacharya. And so this is his visit to Kashmir. Uh, you can get this from the Nepal Vajavam Savali. And then of course, Sudanva's inscription we saw on the previous slide uh, fixes another date. And then of course, uh, 367, Kalahana in Rajatarangini talks about Gopaditya building temples for Adi Shankara. So with Gopaditya building temples for Adi Shankara in the 4th century BC, there is no way that he could have been in 788 AD. <laughs> right? This is, this is what they say. And what turns out that 788 AD is the 38th Guru of Kanchipuram called Abhinava Shankara. And apparently he was uh, intellect and genius. He was <coughs> as good as Adi Shankara and therefore the way people wrote about him, it's easy to be confused as to who they're referring to. But Max Miller picked up on this. This is from uh, I think it's called uh, Sankar Mandara Sarabham, uh, and that was the text in which, from which Max Miller picked this date of 788, and said Adi was born 8th century uh, A.D. Vikramaditya, the English said he was fictional and they removed four dynasties. So, if you look at the old Telugu or Indian calendars, you will find three eras named in them. So it tells you which year this is from the beginning of Kali. It tells you in Vikram Samvat, Salivahana. These eras are still in use and yet they say that these people were fictional. Bhavishya Mahapurana talks about uh, Vikramaditya being born in 101 BC, coronated in 82 BC, and death in uh, 1980. Of course, the uh, era was established in 57 BC when he becomes a Chakravarti. In fact, Kalidasa, in one of his astronomical texts called the Jyotirvidabharana, says there are only six people who had eras named after them in Kaliyuga, starting with Yudhishthira and uh, Sarivahana and Vikrama, and the last one is yet to come, who's going to be the descendant of Kalki. Uh, so those are the six. So these people are called uh, Sakakartas because they have eras na named after them. And he says that Vikramaditya and Sarivahana were certainly Sakakartas. Um, so Jyoti Vidavarana, um, he says he wrote this in 3068. Uh, of the Kali era, which works out to 33 BC, um, identifies himself so, so that there's no confusion as to which Kalidasa we're talking about. He said he wrote three texts, including Raghavamsam and Jyotirvedavarana. So we know which Kalidasa we're talking about. So that's first century BC. He talks about the conquest of the Sakas, talks about the vastness of Vikramaditya's empire. Vikramaditya conquers even Nepal and Kashmir. And it is in 57. BC, that he actually goes to install uh, Amsavarman as a Samantha uh, in Nepal, and that is when the era started. It was after he conquered Nepal, is when the era actually started. Rajatarangani talks about Vikramaditya appointing Matrigupta as the king of Kashmir in 1480, but then Vikramaditya died in 1980 and Madhya Gupta the throne. Ptolemy identifies Vikramaditya and the era. <clears throat> uh, Buddhist texts talk about him. William Jones was aware of it before he started his distortions. <coughs> and some other dates that were reconciled is Aryabhata 2765. In Aryabhatiyam, he says, 360 years into this era, I was 23 and wrote this text, is what he states in Aryabhatiyam. That puts him at uh, 2765, is when he was born. He was 23 in 2742. So 2742 is when we wrote the Aryabhatiyam. Patanjali. Patanjali, we have, from the history of Kashmir, we can see that his Mahabhashya was being taught in Kashmir in the 13th century. So Patanjali could not have been before this date. 
no, I'm sorry, after this date. It would have to have been before this date. And if Patanjali uh, belongs to the, uh, that date, Panini was before him. Panini is definitely before Patanjali because Patanjali wrote the Mahabhashya on Panini's works. Varahamihira, um, Panchasiddhantika. He says he was born in 427 Sakakala, meaning Sairasira. But the English said, no, Sakakala is Salivahana Saka, which is 78 AD. So 78 plus 427, they put him in 505 AD, whereas he actually belonged to 123 BC. <laughs> well, Yodhivadavara Kalidasa mentions the Navaratnas in Vikramaditya's court, and he mentions Varahamira by name and says he was his contemporary. So Varahamira and Kalidasa were in Vikramaditya's court. Uh, you also have a text by you also have a text by uh, there was a Pandit Krishna Mishra who was also uh, in Vikramaditya's court, uh, who claims to have been supported by the king for seventy years. So even in his text is a reference. So they're all contemporaries. They're all pointing to the same dates. So there are many different ways you can uh, get, find them and place them in the first century BC. Sarivahana, also there are uh, um, texts that show how he defeated the Sakas. Um, having defeated the Sakas, he drove them out west and made the Sindhu river the dividing line between the Lechastan uh, and uh, Arya, Aryavarta. Uh, Bhaskaracharya, again, uh, 486 AD, not 11, 14 AD. He documents that in his text, uh, Siddhanta Saromani, uh, which is composed, uh, again, using the Sider Sira. It was 1036 Sider Sira. And you'll find out that uh, it was 486 AD, not 11, uh, 14 AD. Um, as I told you, he used to publish papers. He used to get them peer reviewed. He used to participate in the Andhra Historical Society. And here's an example when uh, Panditji had actually uh, <coughs> Panditji had actually posted an article. Uh, it was Rao Bahadur P. V. Kane, who was one of the officiating members of that historical society, was very critical of him, uh, and he claimed that the Pandavas are alive in Kali 653, and Mahabharata War is in 2448 because he was using. Sakakala as 78 AD, Saliva He was not aware of the Sairasira. The moment you put plug in the Sairasira, it goes back to 3138. So, and this was actually in public, in writing, through the periodicals of that historical society. So, these are examples of how well peer reviewed uh, his uh, works uh, have been. And of course, he does say Yavanas were Bhantiya Kshatriya kings, they were not Greeks. <coughs> So um, that's all I really had uh, uh, for today. And if there are any questions, I'd be glad to answer.